0: Forever,
1: Dog. you get parachuted in to do these character roles and you're there on set it's very high octane you get no more than two takes per go and you're out of there and on to the next one you don't get to meet anybody you don't get enough time to kind of relax and enjoy yourself because it's they're shooting all of your stuff and then you're gone and job satisfaction, I discovered in the first sort of 10, 15 years of my life, particularly on telly, was really, really dubious.
0: Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from The Big Bang Theory or Speechless or my brief appearance in season five of the series Veep. Our guest, is Adrian Scarborough, who has had a fascinatingly diverse career from period pieces to detective shows, to playing manservants, to playing homicidal maniacs. It's a really fun career that covers The Madness of King George, a couple different versions actually, Killing Eve, Gavin and Stacey, and his new show, The Chelsea Detective, which is premiering on Acorn TV. We talk British wit, the difference between American agents and English agents. We talk a little Shakespeare. We go all over the place. Pour yourself a cup of tea and please enjoy Adrian Scarborough. Um, uh, Adrian, I'm, I'm so glad you took the time to do this. Um, I want to start sort of at the at the semi beginning of your of your film career anyway with the madness of king george which i just got to rewatch the other night because i was i was going to talk to you um it's so good god it holds up god it holds up and there's something about like a crazy a crazy autocrat uh <laughs> that has aged even finer in the in low these 30 years
1: <laughs> yes how does this considering world thing- events today that's quite an interesting thing to say.
0: We are recording this uh, the night following the invasion of the Ukraine um, so yeah it's, uh it's, it's, a, it's a scary time uh, in the world and a scary time to think of uh, of uh, an authority figure losing his mind. What do you when you're when you're approaching a project that huge from a creative standpoint, your character is interesting because he um, he's obviously a a, a sort of a, a manservant to the the king but he's also occasionally impertinent to him so how do you strike that balance between bowing to the authority I mean he, he there's that wonderful exchange where he says is that impertinence and you say no sir arithmetic um, how do you balance that like deferment to a king with also being the the local smartass.
1: It was an interesting project in the sense that um, they'd done it as a stage play for several years. In fact, they toured America for the best part of nine months, I think, um, with the show, and I was never a part of the stage play. Nigel so Hawthorne I was,
0: was, right?
1: Nigel Hawthorne absolutely was, and in fact, quite a lot of the rest of the cast, particularly the the servants side of things. They, they'd all been out and about with the show as well. Interesting. So I came to it quite late on. I'd seen it several times. Cause I was working at the national theater at the same time as they were there, uh, on a different show by Alan Bennett, um, which he, he'd done an adaptation of the wind in the willows, Oh right. which was very, very, which was received incredibly well and just sort of went on and on and on. Um, but it was kind of interesting coming to it as, you know, uh, um, as an innocent, really. I could kind of do anything I liked because I'd, I'd not been a part of the original production. So I didn't know the rules, which was kind of quite fun. Um, that said, I was pretty terrified because it was my first time on a, on a big movie set and you the know,
0: cast is insane too. The I cast mean,
1: is really insane. I mean, yeah. it, it,
0: there's Nigel. Yes, yeah. but there's Helen Mirren is in there. And there's Ian, and the Ian Holm, John Wood is in there. John I forgot. Wood. John Wood I mean, is in there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It is. Yes, it is pretty impressive. Um, but it was also Nick Heitner's first movie. Oh, He'd never shot a movie before. Yeah. So that was his first time. I remember seeing him on the first day of the shoot. And, uh, and I just sort of said, "How are you?" And he said, "All right. How are you?" And I went, "I'm really nervous." And he went, "I'm directing this fucking thing. How nervous do you think I am?" <laughs> With Sam Goldwyn essentially standing behind him, you yeah. know. Yeah, you're just a waiting passenger passenger to say this, go. Yeah, I, you're, <laughs> I, I have
0: to actually drive this boat. Um, uh, it's 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 so um, it, it's such an interesting piece, and your relationship to it is such an interesting piece too, because some. 25 years later, they revive it at the National, and you do a different role. Do you, correct me if I'm wrong, do you do the role that Ian Holm played in the movie?
1: I did, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it started at Nottingham Playhouse, and then we recorded it for the NT Live. So it was the first time that NT Live had really sort of gone out into the provinces and done anything sort of other than London, um, which was rather... Wonderful for them. Um, oh, I,
0: did, I didn't realize that. I thought it was a West End yeah yeah.
1: Production. No, yeah no no
0: theater production. They've been oh interesting. Okay, so
1: um, I was. I mean, not only do I, you know, did I fall in love with Ian Holm, Who wouldn't? Yeah. Um, he's just so. He's such a beautiful person. Yeah. Um, and such an extraordinary sort of spirit to be around. Well, how so? Um,
0: Say more about that.
1: He's just. Oh, you just sigh heavily. You, you sort of want to kiss him all the time. And Sorry, <laughs> I was sounding a bit odd, but I don't know. You just want to be around him. You want to be around him and you want to kind of watch him and you want to pick up on everything he does. And Just the way he opened doors was fascinating. <laughs> you know, the way he said lines and the way he never did two takes the same. For somebody who was, you know, starting out in their career, it was just fascinating to watch that, the freedom that he had. And the amount that he was just juggling it—he was just yeah. constantly trying to find something new and fresh and interesting. Nigel the same, but I kind of got—I I got fixated with him, partly because I, you know, he's short and fair-haired.
0: Oh, okay. So you sort of a natural kinship right out of the gate, like, like attracts like. But there's it. There's something interesting about Holmes' work in that role, and I want to talk about your approach to it, is that he maintains a genuine high status throughout his work in the film, where everyone else kind of goes up and down depending on the politics, but he's the voice of reason in the, in the piece to a certain extent, like this man has been doted upon his, in, his entire life. Do you find that the Doctor is sort of a, a higher status character than the others in in the play in the sense that he's sort of the voice of reason.
1: Yeah. And he's not of their world. He's, yeah, he's a visitor. He's coming in, he's an outsider and he's even more of an outsider because everybody considers him to be a quack.
0: Right. Which he right. kind of is. really. Sure. Um, well, by, by late 1700 standards, perhaps. Yes.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I suppose it was, um, it's a tricky old part because he, he he comes in one scene before the end of the first half. Right. He dominates the second half, mm-hmm. but it's quite hard just sitting in one's dressing room listening to this whole thing kind of play out. Um, and then essentially, you know, one of the heroes of the show kind of comes in just before the interview. Um, so I didn't enjoy that very much. I hadn't really considered that, but... <laughs> I usually you, do things like I usually do it the other way around where I'm dead by the interval. <laughs> um, so um, we will
0: absolutely we will address King Lear in a moment. We'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> but um but the um uh so yeah, what are we talking about? Like an hour of downtime? Yeah, uh, literally. Yeah. 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 Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. What was it like to come back to, to that text from a different angle, 25 years
1: wiser, 25 years later? I thought I knew it better than I did. Mm. And you sort of, you look at it with, with fresh eyes, you know, in that extraordinary way that, you know, when you're 25 or whatever I was doing the film, or when I first saw the play, 24 maybe, You sort of look at it and kind of, you know, and it means one thing and you go back to it in your mid-50s and go, oh, hang on a minute. It's not (laughs) about that at all, it turns out. Um, I suppose, yes, if we're coming on to Lear, the same could be said of many a Shakespeare play, couldn't you? Um, Yeah, it's very interesting going back. It's not the first time I've done it. I have done it on a couple of other occasions when I've sort of reassessed plays and work and just... I, I do find it fascinating because I think you look through a very different lens and a different pair of glasses. It's 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 great fun to do. Great. Fun.
0: Well, it's a massively different film that you if you see it in your mid-20s and then see it again when when you're 50 as I am, sure. it is a strikingly different piece of work with piece a of lot work. of different resonance. But what specifically changed in in that text for you? What what did you suddenly put your focus on?
1: It's so grown up. And it's so nuanced and it's so there's just acres more in it. Um, There's just 30 more dimensions than there were then, you know, and it's all so fucking sad. (laughs) And everybody's dying. You know, that's the other thing. Um, But that's kind of that is how life sort of works out, really, isn't it?
0: I I was going to ask you about um, Alan Bennett anyway, I didn't realize you'd work with him even more than I realized I knew about obviously King George yeah. and history boys and and he did who'd you play in Wind in the Willows?
1: So I started off playing uh, I was cast as first rabbit. And then uh, I got up. That's a great time. When you when you get to that
0: memoir title, uh, that you've got it just in the bag, don't you? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The first time I went to the National Theatre was his first rabbit. Uh, Yeah. Then I was um, promoted to Norman, the evil weasel. But the second year they brought it back and um, and I was promoted to Mole, who I'd understood I'd understood the guy who played Mole. Uh, in the first production. And then um, Nick Heitner, God bless him, who directed it, gave me the job second time around, which was terribly nice of him. Um, he had more faith in me than I did in myself. Um, but it was, it, I mean, it was just brilliant. It was wonderful. And Alan was in the room the whole time.
0: That was my next question. What, what was oh. he
1: like to, I mean, he's kind of like...
0: He's Not just the a, last of his generation of, of British wits, but he was kind no, no, of he is. maybe, the, all right, <laughs> well, he, he is. I didn't want to, he be, really I'm, is. I'm, I'm American. Yeah. So I didn't want to make such a sweeping sta- uh, statement, yeah. but like that beyond the fringe crowd, um, yeah. are, 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 are Dead. you know, kind of concealed to posterity now. And so what was he like to work with?
1: Well, he's very, um, he, he's very quiet and he's very shy, um, but he's a good audience and Ah. he sits there and he laughs and he's very generous with his laughter. And, but also he's always got an ear on a text. So if he thinks that something isn't working, he just spends a lot of his time just kind of, you know, writing little bits in his notebook and every now and again, particularly on wind in the willows, I've worked with him uh, on lots of occasions and, um, on wind in the willows, he would kind of go. He he'd sort of if he saw something wasn't working, he'd scribble down about four alternatives, rip it off his pad, and just hand it to you, and just said, "Try those, try those, and see what works. And if one works and it's good and you like it, do it." That's interesting. I mean, that's
0: almost the way the way uh, American sitcoms work. Like they'll they'll exactly. give you they'll yeah. hand like you all lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really it, so. So you're you're positioned very much as a almost a collaborator with this giant wit
1: yeah and i think nick heitner trusts him so implicitly and they've worked together now so many times right right it's just a completely unspoken um nick reads all of his work uh he's the first guy to kind of you know get the opportunity to do that oh interesting he's actually he's given me i'm not sure no I think I can say hell I'm going to say um he gave me permission a very long time ago to adapt one of his short stories um for the stage which I've now done Oh, and we're great. going put a pro- yeah we're going to do a production at Nottingham Playhouse um, oh fantastic in the autumn yeah so we 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 start rehearsals in August and uh and it's just this fantastic tale and he I said to him one day Years and years ago, in the nineties, I just said hey, you should turn it into a play to make the most wonderful play. It's a tiny little slim novella, fifty pages mm-hmm. long, and um, just the most delicious story. And uh, and he said, "Oh well, I might get round to it. I might not." And um, and I saw him sort of three years after that, and he I said, "Did you ever get round to it?" He went, "No, you'd better do it." So. So I just oh my kind God. Of, I mean, that's like
0: being well, I, that's like being knighted by proxy almost. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I sort of put it in in the back of my head and then eventually just kind of went. My wife just went, why on earth don't you just get on with that damn script? Um, so I did. And it, yeah, it's worked out really well. It's very good. Is, very it, your,
0: is it the first play you've written?
1: It's uh, yes, it is.
0: Yes. What but has thirty years? It, but it's years so as an
1: easy to do because no, I know. I
0: mean, you're at, you're you're adapting a. If you're a adapting something that's already
1: yeah, there, yeah. Um, but
0: you've written. But right, but, so but still, I, I have yes, and thanks for googling me. But I, I but it's still. um But it's it's interesting. Everyone has a different approach to when actors start playwriting. They they come at it for a million different reasons sometimes. And sometimes it's pure vanity. Like I'm going to write myself the role that I want. And sometimes (laughs) it's just this dying need to, to tell a particular story. Sometimes it's just a need to dip your feet into all the pools of theater. What, what, what made you, aside from Alan Bennett's blessing, what, what has acting taught you about playwriting? Uh,
1: Everything. But also, <laughs> Alan Bennett writes in such a gloriously structured way, and in a sense, in a very theatrical way, mm-hmm. that, that so much of your work is already done for you. Mm. And the, the hardest part was the fact that with a 50-page novella, turning it into an evening of two 50-minute halves, right. you needed a lot of extra dialogue. And Alan's dialogue is incredibly specifically sounding. Yeah. It it has a it just has a bennett noise, you know? There's
0: a rhythm to it that is decidedly his yeah. that that I think comes from years in sketch comedy.
1: I think you're right. Yeah.
0: I, I yeah. think his roots and, and if if my audience um has not familiarized themselves with Beyond the Fringe. Um, there's audio clips on YouTube that I can't recommend enough. Some of it is um, both dated and incredibly British. You're not going to get every regional reference, but you're really going to enjoy uh, a lot of it. Um, well,
1: and it's really interesting seeing people like Dudley Moore and Peter Cook at that age as well. Yeah. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. It's um. I uh. I, straight, I'm
1: straight out of university. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they totally. were they were
0: kids, right? They were yeah. something like. 22 or 23 and they just took everything by storm and then they came to Broadway and it was just this enormous cultural it was like a it was was sort of a a comedic British invasion on par with the Beatles happening around the same time
1: yeah they all bought flats in New York I mean they yeah it's insane isn't it
0: Hey everybody, Tim Heidecker here with huge news. Office Hours Live recorded another episode live. It was one of our great ones with the great Rory Scovel who's got a new special out on MAX. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: And the Trinity's here, DJ Doug Pound. Yes, hello. And Victor Berger Fourth.
1: Hi, hi, hi. Can't we, wait for the
0: fifth. We enjoy the heck out of doing the show and so will you. If you find us on the podcast app of your choice, now. I want to talk a little bit about your work on, on Gavin and Stacy, as this sort of, <laughs> it's this archetypal put upon husband, but there's so much more to it. You're able to dimensionalize them. Here's my question. How do you keep, because I've played Henpecked Husbands on half hours in American TV. How do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it from not just being this standard comedic trope? I mean, Corden's writing is really strong and that's got to help Corden. And I'm sorry, his partner is Ruth Jones on that. Am I right? Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Who, you know, who, you know, well, you know, from wrong man's and, um, but but yeah, I think that I, I I think, I think the two of them writing together is a really, really interesting dynamic. I think they do it really, really brilliantly. And I think they're so, their ears are so attuned to the way the other thinks that, um, Mm you'd get those scripts the first time he sent me he sent me series one which was six half hours and i remember i read the first script i don't know if this happens to you but you read the first script and kind of go the second one will never be that good and then (laughs) i read i read the second one and it was so I went on to the third, thinking it'll never be as good as the second, and it just so this
0: has to lose momentum at some point, right? <laughs> and
1: it didn't. It di- it really yeah. didn't. And I got to the end of six episodes and just went, "It's a hit." It's just the writing is just so delicious and so good and so. It's just so a part of our culture the way in which they talk to one another and all of those characters kind of coexist with one another. It's just too delicious not to fail, really uh, to fail. So um, it was it, it was it was a bit of a dream. And the thing about Pete and Dawn's characters, it's a couple who are literally permanently imploding. They're permanently on the brink <laughs> of divorce. They're permanently on the brink of having affairs, they're permanently... But that's
0: hard to play, though. That's hard to play and not take it over the edge. We're like, well, there's no there's no coming back from this. Yes. And but... and and you guys walk that edge for whatever it is, you know, 14, 14 episodes and a Christmas special.
1: But Ruth and Christmas James special. are clever enough to know that you need to select, you need to pick their moments. So mm-hmm. I think they're very, very good at... at, at they don't put them in every act. No, that's, I noticed. That's I noticed. important. They don't overstay their welcome. Because, it's, yeah, yeah, I think you would tire of them pretty quickly. Um, if uh, you know, they but but that was always the way with Gavin and Stacey. It's why they got out after three series. It was brilliant, just yeah. to say we we have this extraordinary thing, which is a world what well is about to become a worldwide phenomenon, and we've gone as far as we can go with it. So let's just not write anymore. Let's stop, and that's what they did. We've, we've gone as far as we can go. God, Good on Why don't remark? more people yeah. do that? It's and such a shame. If you're
0: talking to an American, we'll we'll drag things out for eight <laughs> seasons of twenty two episodes. Good lord! I mean, and we'll still we'll not get
1: an ending out of it.
0: We'll no. flog a dead horse. My wife is literally writing on, and you know, it's it's great, and people are loving it and watching it, and they've refreshed the cast. But my wife is literally writing on season eighteen of Grey's Anatomy right now. What what has eighteen seasons over there? What, Coronation Street and that's it, right? Well, Coronation, Coronation
1: Street's Street. just a permanent soap, so I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it just Coronation Street and, and the
0: monarchy on. are the two things that have gone yeah. on that long,
1: yeah. yeah, for for that many eps, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the monarchy, um, the monarchy's in, de- the monarchy's not going to see out Corey.
0: It, it doesn't look great. They're having some. Uh, they're having some. The the writing's weird this season. The Isn't writing's it? just been really weird this series.
1: It's gone off on such a strange tangent.
0: Notice I switched from season to series to accommodate my British listeners. Did you hear that? <laughs> um, love you guys. Um, uh, yeah, but it's so I, I love that that there's such an acknowledgement of get in, get out in in British TV. The other thing I really love about British television. And I I can say this with a certain degree of firsthand experience: is there is a deep, there seems to be much less typecasting in British TV. Maybe because there is just generally a smaller pool from which to pull from, or maybe it's just a sense of trusting these actors to be versatile. Let's take Gavin and Stacey and Killing Eve. Okay, let's take two two roles of yours. Um, One, you are this um, this husband who is a little bit of a beta male and is, uh, is constantly being hand pecked and, and gives as good as he gets, but is, you know, just sort of put upon and then killing Eve, you're the handler of an assassin who is probably a dead eyed psychopath himself. Yeah. And I don't know that you would have had those, the opportunity to play both of those in the United States. Had you really, I, you know, I mean, if, 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 You had, it would have been a thing. It would have been see Adrian Scarborough as as you've never seen him before. You know, I just feel like they look, I have a British agent, which is how I ended up on the wrong man's, which is how I ended up on on feel good. I did a death in paradise. And I, I feel like my British agent, and this is no disrespect to the people who handle me in the States. But here in the States, I play a ton of nerds and I play a ton of beleaguered academics. And my British agent calls me and goes, hi, you're a sleazy drug lawyer. Uh, put yourself really? on tape. And I book it. Um, uh, hi, you're a stand-up comic who actually might be a, a predator. OK, great. I book it. Um, I just, you don't feel like there's, you're getting a chance to do a, a wider range of stuff in, in the UK. Compare compare your career to your friends who have probably moved to the States. Oh, Sure. Yeah, right sure. you see my point yeah. right
1: yes i do yes i do yeah they play the same thing again and again and again
0: yeah you know and, and 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 yeah. they play you know and and you know whenever we need like uh, an authoritarian who's going to bring some prestige uh, uh to the project <laughs> we break. call one of we call one of our Brits in Malibu
1: <laughs> yeah yeah yes maybe that's true i mean i've always been i was told very early on in my career be a jack of all, tra- all trades master of none because that way the chances are that you'll actually work and you'll right. be employed and you'll be able to put marmalade on the table of your children. Yeah, but it's and, not always
0: up to, marmalade. It's, it's not always up to uh, you though, is it? You know, I mean, we have no, a lot of no, different it, forces.
1: But I, th- but I do, but I think that's a really good piece of advice for a character actor. But, you know, I did a lot of theater. I did a lot of television, film, radio drama which we still have over here which is massive still and you know lots and lots of voiceover and that kind of thing and animation and it's so I, I suppose from the word go really I was trying to sort of diversify and do lots and lots of different things
0: let's talk about the word go for a moment when do you I could find precious little about your childhood um, online. <laughs> where did you? Because um, uh, you're cloaked in mystery, as you should be. But where where did you um, where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? What did your folks do?
1: Um, something like nothing happens everywhere. Uh, I grew up in Melton Mowbray in Leicestershire. Uh, Which is a backwater, a seedy backwater in the East Midlands of this country. Oh, okay. East Midlands. So that's sort of
0: like, that's a little bit like our American Midwest. Are you talking like, are you near like Wolverhampton, Telford, around there? Yeah, a
1: little, well, a little bit further east than that. Yeah. Even closer to Wales. Birmingham, on a line with Birmingham. Birmingham, got it. Okay. But heading towards Russia. Okay. uh, Where it's barren and cold and not a lot goes on. And, you know, it, it and it was it was a sort of a bit of a backwater then. And my yeah. mother, God bless her and God rest her soul, spent an awful lot of time just saying, get out of here. Do not stay in this town, partly because she felt that she had and mm. she'd lived there all of her life and she really regretted that i think towards the middle of it um so she spent a lot of time telling all three of her children i'm the bo- i'm the lowest of three mm. shortest of three too and mm. um and she just said don't stay here get out get the hell out of here but she worked for the methodist church um okay. she was a lay worker for the methodist church and my father was a teacher at a, at, a, at a um at a middle school yeah
0: there's so many interesting trends that come up on this podcast um we have a lot of guests whose parents were uh teachers or academics and we have a lot of guests who are the youngest children <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: are they uh, left-handed as well
0: uh interesting are you left handed are you left-handed yeah, yeah, ginger yeah, yeah. oh my yeah. god yeah, wow yeah. Yeah. so you come into this world with just a ton to prove oh yeah you bet oh interesting yeah, yeah. Yeah. at what point do you like it, it, it do you do like a school play do you do a panto what point do you discover that this is something that adrian can do for a living
1: It's the only thing that Adrian can do for a living. That's the thing to remember is that there wasn't anything else. I mean, there wasn't anything else. But did you try anything
0: else? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. I want to hear about that.
1: Well, I tried to be intellectual and I tried to sort of be academic and I wasn't, I was a disaster, Mm. Uh, but both of my siblings had gone ahead of me and, and were really academic. You know, my, my, uh, my sisters was a linguist. And um, my brother is a headmaster of a school. and
0: uh, So your older siblings followed your father into academia. Yeah. And you, the shortest and youngest redheaded child. Yeah, yeah. This is, we all make so much sense, don't we? We really just are, we just, uh, we we follow a very linear path sometimes, don't we?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I was, I left school at 16 um, and I was about to become a butcher. And I was very, very fortunate to have down the road, I had this college um, called Melton Mowbray College of Further Education, where you would go to do your A-levels, so 16 to 18, essentially. Um, And there there was a core group of three people who ran a drama course there, and they convinced me that it would be a really, really good idea if I went on it. And two of them were husband and wife, Brenda and Richard Smith. And Brenda was a dancer. And she insisted that every single person who came on the drama course had to do O-level dance, whether they liked it or not. And irrespective of how big, small ginger they were, everybody had to do it. So all of the 16 year old boys were stood around in tights and ballet shoes and, you know, doing all of that shit. And uh, but it. She got us through as well. She was absolutely brilliant and she got us all through and she gave me a lifelong love of of dancing. Really? Yes. And she's really, you know, she she changed me into, yeah, into somebody who knew about their body and could kind of use it in very, very useful ways for a character actor, I think, Um, particularly on stage. Yeah, and I am forever grateful to all three of them. David Taylor is the other one, and uh, they were they were just brilliant. And then at the end of that, they just kind of went, you should go to drama school, you know. You really should try.
0: And, and it, how, how do you end up at the Old Vic?
1: So I ended up at the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School because they accepted me. Okay. And <laughs> I got this – I remember getting this prospectus through the post, and this, this tatty old building at the top of uh, Clifton – down uh, in Bristol and it, there's weeds growing around the door and all the paint is falling off and the windows jam and I just remember looking at it and kind of thinking what goes on inside is obviously a lot more important than the actual look of the building <laughs> this and is, I just uh, thought yeah. I want to go there there's just something about this place that I really really want to go so I auditioned for it and got in. Do you, and, remember, what, um,
0: do you remember with what you auditioned?
1: I auditioned with um, yeah Dysart from Equus. Which oh was so- wow, the, the the psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah, but I was like, tw- you know, I was uh, I was eighteen.
0: You're you're it Alan was- Strang's age when you exactly. when you're reading Dysart.
1: And I remember, I remember you. you well, uh, you had to sort of go through different levels in order to get a place, and everybody just kind of went, "Why are you doing <laughs> that speech?" It was really peculiar. And then I think I did um from two gentlemen of Verona. Lawrence
0: is the one with the dog.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah.
0: Do you know, do you know uh, do you know the actor, the American actor Dylan Baker? No. You do, actually. You've seen him. I bet I do. Um, he, I is in, he is, in fact, a household face. Um, uh, I was just talking about Lance with him on this very podcast. He did it oh, at yeah. uh, the Delacorte in Central Park. Um, that's crazy how these things connect. Um, so you do this um, incredibly embittered, cloistered middle-aged guy at the age of 18 to get into yeah. drama school but I mean that serves my point even more like you're just gonna like okay yeah I'm not gonna I'm gonna completely go outside the box here I am 30 yeah, but years I didn't know young. I mean
1: I didn't know that I was going outside the box there it was just a stupid choice but I was indulgent and I loved it <laughs> so I just sort of thought oh well that'll do then I'll do that but there must have been I mean in a sense I, I've been trying I've been trying to play him, I think, for, you know, the last 30 years. Right. And now what's interesting, and you must find this too, that I think after, after a while you do get to a certain age where, where kind of everybody, kind of, where, where the parts are starting to get a bit more interesting because they're starting to get a bit more three-dimensional. I think really it was John, uh, I, I stole it absolutely wholemeal um, from John C. Riley, but he, he has that wonderful expression, um, SAS acting, which i spent you know the first 25 years of my career doing which is basically you get parachuted in you know to do these character roles and you're there on set it's very high octane you get 3 days no more than two takes per go and and you're out of there and on to the next one and you don't get to meet anybody you don't get enough time to kind of relax and enjoy yourself because it's they're shooting all of your stuff. And and then you're gone. And job satisfaction, I discovered in the first sort of 10, 15 years of my life, particularly on telly, was really, really dubious. <laughs> it just didn't. You know, I, I I I was sort of shaking a lot of the time I was on set and um well, literally shaking thinking.
0: or what or, or, or what well, you know
1: i would yeah. i it would keep me up nights nice, for sure yeah. yeah well it feels yeah. like
0: high stakes temp work to a certain extent you know Very there's a, there's, there's thousands and thousands of, of dollars or pounds changing hands you do not have the luxury of screwing up nope. because you've only got a few pages um yeah. or god help you only one line which is the hard anyone anyone oh, can tell you is the hardest the thing worst. in this entire business yeah. God forbid, give me give me uh, Iago speeches before you give me one line
1: at the Um, end of a three minute tracking shot. Oh
0: God, that's nightmarish. Yeah. Oh my God, that was uh, the
1: that was when we uh, when we did the film nineteen seventeen with Sam Mendes. Oh yeah, that's right. right.
0: Oh my God, that's exactly what it was.
1: Yeah yeah yeah. That film
0: stressed me out not no! because of World War 1 but because <laughs> I just kept thinking like oh you were my worried God, about all of those actors getting one- their lines right it- it takes, a, or just like one misplaced grip who wanders in with a big anachronistic walkie on his belt <laughs> <laughs> and just everyone's back to one ulcers for all. <laughs> I, I loved it. I saw it twice. I, I, I saw it in the theaters, came home and then watched it again with my wife, but it really put me on edge because yeah. yes, I want him to get the message to the front. But also, uh <laughs> yeah. how Don't is this fuck going to work?
1: Oh my God. So yeah, what was that
0: like? What was that experience like on
1: 1970? Oh, well, it was great, you... but it was a five-minute take. And, you know, with with lots of Benedict Cumberbatch before me. And um and lots That's the of people... things. You're
0: also at the, you're also at the very end of the film, pretty much, too. So there's yeah. a, an extra yeah. layer of oh shit coming, oh, uh, shit. hovering over you.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I remember driving up onto, onto the set, which was about a quarter of a mile long trench that they built yeah. um, in the middle of Salisbury Plain. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there were like 170 extras all stood around in putties and, you know, backpacks and tin helmets. And you just kind of looked around and kind of went, there's a lot of money knocking around on this one. And we did rehearse it to within an inch of its life, to be fair yeah Um, of course i mean that that's
0: that's choreography at this at its core that's your dance training
1: truly and uh, and i think we did 18 takes
0: oh my god because
1: sam sam god bless him is you know in dogged pursuit of perfection quite a lot of the time and uh, i mean that in a, a very respectful way too sure um he's just he's brilliant i mean he's brilliant like have, you, a, have you worked with him like on stage a, at all? Yeah, I've done a couple of plays with him. And, um, oh, he's just brilliant. He's like, it's like having a sort of coach. It's like having a sports coach mm. alongside you. It's just joyous. He's kind of there on your shoulder, patting you on the back, going, go on, go on, go on. Do more. Try this. Do that. Wonderful.
0: That's Joyce. so exciting for an actor and, and to to be still given that opportunity later in your career to just sort of, especially to play with such incredibly high stakes, that's, uh, that's pretty wonderful. I want to I want to bounce back to uh, to killing Eve for a second. What was that? <laughs> what was that shoot? I mean, there's like there's fighting. There's a ton of violence in that um, stuff that you're you're not usually asked to do. Mm. I, I generally speaking, not on camera anyway. Perhaps you've done more in theater. Was it? No, I'm really it,
1: not. I'm no. I'm, I don't play that many cold blooded killers. Yeah, more would be nice. You know. The Bond villain, hundred percent. It's just agreed. such fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Why don't we do? Why, why don't I don't know? Why don't they? See I think that it's
0: place? so surprising and interesting when guys who look like us play villains yeah. a- and play actual like existential threats to someone. There is that moment when you're you're choking Eve. Spoiler alert! Near the end of your arc, um, that is, it. The laughs only work because the threat is very genuine.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: well, you know, the suspense Andrew, of is 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 Sandra going to be able to c- follow through on this only works because oh shit, no, this guy's actually this guy can kill her he right kill now me. with his hands. Yeah, yeah. And did you kind of find that was that fun? always going to be the way it was going to be done, or or did you kind of build up to that through rehearsal? No, it
1: started off with uh, it started off with one being one scene in the car where right. I essentially sort of. Um, grab her around the throat and sort of push her against the window of the car. And the and oh, they this...
0: think you're going to kill her right there.
1: Yeah. There's this, cra- he has this crazy violent turn and, yeah. uh, and that was the end of it. That was the, that was the part. And I read mm. it and just kind of went, Oh, that's delicious. Hurrah. Thank goodness for that. Um, And also, I, you know, I love Jodie and I'd seen the show. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of thought, oh, my God, this is going to be job of the year. So I thought it's only one scene. Fuck it. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great fun. And then they just I think they sat down together and just kind of thought it's he's too good to waste. He's too. He's just too much fun. And also, to be fair. Uh, I don't think there's a single English character actor who actually survives the series. Um, That's every, true. I mean, yeah, it's not a safe,
0: <laughs> it's not a safe gig for the David Higgs of the world, is it?
1: Not really. No. I mean, they all get it. They all get it. In um, yeah. I mean, shocking, shockingly predictable. Um, but then they decided to sort of b- b- build it up a bit and put him in. And I, I remember having a, a, I had an exchange with Emerald Fennel who was writing right. at the time, and I just. Went, You've got to kill him. You know, please give him the most appalling death. Please. You, I just so love that. And, and she, she followed she through. good. Yeah, yeah, she
0: followed through. It's grizzly. She really did. It, it is, is a uh, spoiler alert. It
1: is fucking grizzly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, they uh, built this fantastic um, backpack, which oh, is that how they did it? under okay. my shirt. Yeah. And I was sort of walking around with it for like three days. <laughs> it's huge things sticking out the back is it just filled with uh
0: filled with like blood squibs
1: yes yeah and also they had a trough for sandra um they had this sort of it was like a a, an animal food trough and they'd filled it all with sponges and just gallons (laughs) gallons of blood so that when she's (laughs) she goes down with the act it just went everywhere oh it was such fun it
0: shows. It really shows. So brilliant. Um, it it comes across in in the playing of it. Um, yeah. uh So let's let's alienate some of my uh, uh, of our audience here and talk about um, the the fool in Lear. I <laughs> love I love that play. I really do. I've seen a bunch of different uh, productions of it. But I I it, I will admit I am confounded by the fool every other shakespearean clown it's very clear like oh this clown wants to get laid this one wants power this one's hungry this one's drunk got it what does the fool want this is what fucks me up with him what does the his his language even by shakespearean standards is so obscure I, i just struggle with it how do you get into a character like that
1: well i think this was a sam mendes production Oh, no so, shit. Oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, so, and um, Simon Russell Beale was playing Leah. Yeah. Um, very young. Uh, but he was also, he was, but that's, that's his deal though. He, he
0: was also a super old Hamlet a few years back, if you'll recall. So yeah, he's, yeah. He, he, really he, he loves to skew our expectations. Carry on.
1: Yeah. He's very, I mean, he was brilliant. He was really, oh, really great. good. Um, I think, what is he after? What does he want? Out of life. I think he's just been a retainer. He's been around. They've been around together for so long. And he's the only person, essentially, in the first half of the play who speaks truth to power. Mm, he is right. the only person, and he says it relentlessly. Yeah. He goes over and over and over it. He says, You're an idiot. You're <laughs> a fool. What you've done is really stupid. Hello, in there. Come on out. <laughs> He he never ever stops telling him what a total dick he's been. And and I think it's I mean partly for the love of his young of Leah's youngest daughter, I think, because oh, they've grown up together. There's one line at the beginning of the play where he talks about Cordelia and um and just sort of says, you know that he used to hang around when she was little. And I think they, you know, I think as soon as she's banished, he kind of loses his purpose. He doesn't kind of know what he's there for anymore. It was always in a sense to kind of keep the family together. Um, Anyway, when I first had my meeting with Sam, I just kind of went, look, the thing about the fool that's always kind of put me off is that he just disappears. And you get the line, you know, at the end of the player, poor fool is is hanged. And and I just sort of said, I just went, I think he makes a very, very strong and purposeful decision to leave. And I said, I've never, ever seen that happen on stage. And I said, I think there is a dramatic moment towards the, where Sam was going to put the interval after he's um, gone out onto the Heath and we've had glow winds and crack your cheeks and, He's running around with very little on, in the rain, and uh, I I said, "I think there's a moment where he literally just kind of goes in off and he leaves." And Sam said, "Yeah, that's really interesting."
0: They staged that. Really
1: interesting. No, he didn't. (laughs) uh, Yeah. About a fortnight later, he came up to me and said, "I think it'd be really good if we bludgeoned him to death in a bath." Oh, okay. Well, let's run with that then. You're, <laughs> you're the genius. So yeah. So um, so that's what happened. So B- Beely essentially bludgeoned me to death in a in a builder on a in a builder's yard in on a in a bathtub. Um yeah. is
0: this is sort of near the is this sort of during the the Heath mad scene?
1: No, uh it's after after the Heath and after that. And uh he, um, they all go into the hovel together, where where Edgar
0: is right. suddenly Poor revealed Tom. as a madman. Oh right, um, yeah,
1: and uh, it comes at the end of that. Basically. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh yeah. cool,
0: interesting. Yeah, man. I'm sorry, I missed that. That sounds incredible. Um. Mm.
1: Well, I'm we... dead by the interval. Which What's is that? Always good. I was dead by the interval, which is always good.
0: Um, yeah. Do you stick around for the bows or? Oh yeah, I had to stick okay. around
1: for the bows. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: there was one day when I got on my bicycle and went to a gin festival in Camden, and uh, I had a bet with a friend that I could get, I could get there, have a gin gin and tonic, and get back for the curtain call.
0: Did you and do I it? I did. Yeah. That's real old school Peter O'Toole it's stuff, terrible, right there. Yeah, that's not. Is, that, is Richard, that
1: Richard Harris? My Richard Harris moment. Yes.
0: Exactly. Um, have <laughs> um, you read a book? We don't have to keep this. Uh, there's a book called. Hellraisers that is oh, specifically yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's specifically yeah, about that generation, sure about the Harris's, that. the O'Toole's the Oliver Reeds. Yeah, um yeah. and honestly, you will read the book and you'll get cirrhosis. It is remarkable. <laughs> So you mentioned how you still do how the UK still does radio dramas. The other thing they do that we have all but abandoned here in the states is the character-based detective show, uh, which takes us to the Chelsea Detective, which has they abandoned
1: charming. that. Have they? I'm really?
0: trying to think of the last one that is genuinely about a a a an idiosyncratic Columbo. Jim Rockford style character. And you're kind of a hybrid of the two now that I think of it. Definitely. Um, uh um that because you know, we we've done so well with the procedurals. And look, I love forensic science as much as the next guy, but uh <laughs> I I would love to follow these detectives home on occasion, particularly if they live in a cool little houseboat. Um yeah. uh yeah, uh with, with erratic coffee. Um, I um I I, I find it um And again, you know, the UK does a ton of this. There's the thing that Ashley Jensen does. Um, I can't remember the name of the show, but there's a lot of these that uh, you guys did Wallander. There's a bunch of terrific um, character-based detective shows. And I might as well ask you as long as I have you here, what is it that keeps the British audience continuously coming back for those?
1: Well, I think you've put your finger on it in the sense that I think, Pete, I sort of think the English are more interested in what goes on at home. Than they mm. are actually in the crime. Interesting. I sort of think, I sort of think puzzling over the crime is sort of like secondary. What you yeah. want to see is, you know, what, what the, yeah, just you know, what what they do when they get home at night. How do they, how do they deal with all of that shit?
0: There's great. <laughs> it's so much
1: more interesting, isn't it? I am inclined to in agree. Sense. I really am. I'm,
0: I'm trying. You know, the last one we had that hit here in the States was Monk with Tony Shaloub.
1: Oh, right. I yeah, think yeah. that
0: was the last, and I was, you know, I was, it is de rigueur for a character actor. I was led away in handcuffs on that show at one point. Um, but it's, there's just something so great about your incarnation of this guy, because he's not this dark, tortured drunk. You know, he's oh, just this God, kind man. of, you know, but he's just this kind of like, uh, you know, divorced, middle-aged, middle-class guy. Um, the boat apparently doesn't smell particularly well, but he cares about his community. There's this warm, here's the thing, there's this warm moment in the first episode where you you bust a kid trying to steal your bike and you take his photo and you insist he returns, uh, he, he gives you a new bike lock.
1: And he does! And he does! <laughs> that would it's never a, happen in this it, country. I mean, it, it just simply would not never happen.
0: I would certainly wouldn't happen in the. He'd, I mean, no. in the United States, you'd have been beaten to death with the bike lock. Um, and and that's yeah, you'd have run of off. Show. Why
1: doesn't he run off as well?
0: <laughs> I, I couldn't. Why, understand. why didn't he just
1: run away?
0: Uh, but I, uh, but I love it. There, but it, it <laughs> speaks to the larger thing you're trying to do with the show. I think is create this sort of like warm crime show. The crime show as as comfort. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Yeah. How did I you? How did this is... role come to you? How did this role come to you? somebody sent me a script and there are you know in that way that there are wonderful ingredients when you read a script and um and you you know if there's a sufficient supply of them left in the mixing bowl at the end of it and you stir it together it's kind of a a nice enough pie um (laughs) and i quite liked well i liked the bicycle it's a very very you just don't see people you don't you don't see policemen riding around on bicycles, you know, since about 1953. Yeah. <laughs> so I quite like the idea of this man on a bike, um, this sort of unfit, slightly fat, ginger man, <laughs> short ass on a bike, cycling around London, yeah. which is, you know, like asking for trouble. Um, oh, you I take love- your
0: life in your hands just as a pedestrian. I can I can only oh, imagine. Walking yeah. across
1: the road, let alone getting on two wheels. Terrified.
0: Um, imagine if you're not trained to look the right way, by the way. I I, I take my life into my hands every time I visit.
1: Carry hey, on. look, imagine if 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 people are allowed on a red light to turn around a corner in LA.
0: Fair enough. What yeah. Okay. Fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Fair um, enough. Yeah. Yeah. You make a very good point. Um, yeah.
1: That was just that was. <laughs> something else when that happened to me Um, divided by a common language is the churchill quote i think (laughs) people blowing their horns at me as well going go on (laughs) totally anathema it's been two seconds i beg your pardon that's red um um, no but i loved the houseboat i just thought as a a, as a metaphor for a man sort of you know a, a melancholic sat in the middle of an island you know, it's surrounded by water. Quite <laughs> literally adrift. Adrift. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Uh, I love with- that. I thought yeah. that was great. I like the phone as well. I'm a technophobe. So uh, it was really, really great to kind of go- that they- He takes photographs because of his dyslexia. He takes photographs of everything because he has a much more visual memory.
0: Yeah. There.
1: So yeah. he really kind of quite likes that. So he Everywhere he goes, he's got his phone out and he's taking photos of, you know, bloody corpses and knives that have been used. I just kind of like the kind of, yeah, I mean, you know, he'll just take a photograph of anybody and anything. Um, comp- yeah, just he's just allowed to. But um, by
0: following him home, you dimensionalize the whole world because there's the suspense with comes that comes from you chasing a caretaker. Fine, fine. But there's a suspense to you. My God. He's got he's got the number up. Is he going to dial his ex-wife? Oh God! Is he going to actually <laughs> dial his ex-wife? He shouldn't do this. Now's yeah, not the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it just yeah. dimensionalizes the guy in a way that's so exciting. What is it? Um, he plays uh,
1: bark as well. You know, I know. He, he sits there of an evening, you know, with a glass of red wine in his hand, playing tootling bark on his little keyboard. So. <laughs> How mad does it get? You know, and there's, and there's such a a, a a weird
0: irony that the dyslexia thing is interesting. It, I did note it, but I'm I'm now just realizing how interesting it is that your character has dyslexia, and so much of the of the first episode hinges on a handwriting sample.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and every time he gets given a file, he just hands it to somebody. Yeah. To he member. just hands it to somebody else. He just gives it to somebody a... else as a deal. Please deal with that. I can't. I simply don't know what to do with it. It's yeah. such a fun yeah.
0: way to approach detective work in in <laughs> a visual medium, you know? It just it it just works really really well and you're so you're you're clearly having the time of your life on it. It looks like I'm not sure I mean, how
1: professional it is from, <laughs> from uh, a it, crime it, busting it, point of view.
0: Oh, uh, you know, I'm I'm I will suspend all kinds of disbelief if I'm hmm. if I'm enjoying the ride. Um exactly. uh, yeah, but it it I I really um what it looks like is uh, a, a very, very likable character, but it also looks like an actor who maybe wasn't entirely sure he was going to get to play a D.I. for any extended period of time and now gets to.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you're right. I mean, is there... lob, lob the kitchen sink at it, really. Yeah. It took me a long time to kind of... I was very, very lucky in that my co-star, my sidekick, mm-hmm. Um Sunita Henry is ju- is really brilliant, and she's very, very, she's very quick, and she learns lines really quickly, which I don't anymore. I used to be so much quicker than I am now, mm. and they take so much longer to go in, and particularly when you're on a show like that, it's just unrelenting, isn't it? You, it's just every day, and there are changes continually. And, and it's also
0: mountains of lists of exposition, too, yeah, a lot yeah, of the time. And yeah. the
1: same questions Day after day after day. Yeah, because, yeah, sure. But just in a different order, essentially. Yeah. Um, but she was brilliant because she was just kind of, she was really encouraging and really funny and kept me light and stopped me from kind of going down into dark places when I wasn't feeling terribly good about things. And uh, that was just such a pleasure and a privilege to have her on, on board and alongside it she mirrors your
0: relationship on screen. I think and mm. it, it absolutely yeah. comes across that there is a real sense of support. They know each other. They're, um, do you have to spell, do you have the phrase work wife in the UK? Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: yeah. So it, there, there's a real sense of yeah. a, a almost spousal relationship between these yeah. two detectives, yeah. um, with all the, uh, uh, all matter of sins that they disguises. Um, we did Adrian. a chemistry yeah. read on Zoom. Oh, no kidding. Okay, so yeah, we talk you about that, that kind of thing, I I have, and it's it it's really hard. It's it is, weird, it's, isn't it? It's, it's really weird. really hard because you have you you never have any idea where to look, but particularly not in a chemistry read. <laughs> so, if because you're looking at somebody in the eyes, then they can't see that. Like right now, I'm looking you. This isn't we're, we're this is just audio, but I'm looking at Adrian's eyes and yeah. he's looking at my eyes and we're both looking off. And camera. we're both looking down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's it, it's a very very hard thing. Did you what was it that without naming any names what elevated her over the other uh uh actors who read for that role?
1: She was instantly playful. She was mm. really really playful and twinkly. And mm. and and it was just it was there from the off. It really genuinely was so obvious but I've done quite a few auditions and things like that and stood in and because sometimes young actors sort of ask me you know about getting a role and about landing it and I these days I just kind of go it's anybody's guess it's really obvious actually it's really obvious who's going to get the part yeah and it isn't anything sometimes it can be that you know you've got one tooth that just sort of sits, you know, or it could be, it can be nothing at all, nothing at all. It's an inexact science casting. Totally. Yeah. Let
0: me ask you this before we wrap up. Uh, we, we, these are two things we we ask everybody um, uh, on this show. Uh, and we've already hinted at a little bit with Ian Holm, but who were some other character actors that you looked at growing up when it was clear that maybe leading man was not on the docket um were there <laughs> were there actors whose careers or craft you looked at and went oh I want that
1: I uh well a lot of mm, I saw Hopkins on stage when I was very young wow and in what in M Butterfly oh interesting I didn't realize yeah, he they, did that UK. Me. I didn't realize Henry that. Huang yeah, yeah. And uh, it started at the Leicester Haymarket of all places I mean oh. you know just a Uh, uh, a strange place to kick that play off. But anyway. um, Yeah. That's a little bit in the boonies for something for that kind of challenging material. Yeah. Well, and for Tony. Um, uh, And I remember, I mean, I remember every bloody line practically. Mm. It was just, it was extraordinary. He was unbelievable to watch on stage. Um, And I, I mean, being at the national theater at the time that I was there, I really, really did get, some extraordinary players to watch um, you know Schofield doing John Gabriel Borkman. I mean, Oh wow. You saw Paul, Paul Schofield on stage. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had this extraordinary experience once where I was at stage door and I was taking a phone call at stage door and I'd got my back to the door and I was on the phone and it was quite busy stage door of the Nash and Everything suddenly went quiet apart from me. I suddenly became aware that my voice was sort of the only thing that I could hear in the room. And I turned round and Schofield had just come through the door. And he had literally silenced everybody just by appearing. Oh my God. It was so extraordinary. And I remember turning round and kind of going, Oh my god, he's here. It was just, yeah, he's just mm, he was something else. But you know, fantastic character actors too, Michael Bryant, who stayed at the National Theatre for, you know, years and years and years, was a big company man. And just to learn from him and Richard Pasco, Barbara Lee Hunt, you know, Judy Dench. I mean, just I was blessed. I was oh, blessed. of course. I, I,
0: I will admit I had to. Um... I had to look up Michael Bryant, but um having seen him, yeah, that's a face I've seen a yeah, bunch yeah, of yeah. times on, yeah. on countless, uh uh countless period pieces.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, just yeah. yeah. Very lucky. What
0: was a role that that got away from you? Doesn't have to be, in fact, it's better if it isn't something you're particularly bitter about, but it was there a big role that that our audience might be like, really? Adrian read for that?
1: No kidding, huh? I was up for Bond and I didn't get it. And no. um, I, I was like, that's a, that's a way to go. That's a direction. <laughs> there were, yes. I mean, there have, there, there have been, there have been. Yeah. But I'm not somebody who has a list.
0: I'm not asking. Here's the thing. I don't ever ask this in a sense of like, are you still holding a grudge? Are you still embittered about this? What I, I ask from a place of, isn't it interesting how random casting can be? Yeah. And, you know, when I when I find out that um, that John Carroll Lynch was almost Walter White on Breaking Bad, that that fascinates me that he was in the mix for something like yeah. that. So yeah. it doesn't come from a place of like, hey, let's talk some shit. Let's uh, let's well, rehash. And how, different and how
1: extra. But it just goes to show, doesn't it? That it yeah. sort of. It, I mean, it does matter who you cast. Of course it does. But everybody would bring a very, very different interpretation to a role. And I love that about acting. I think it's absolutely bloody brilliant. So, so often, what was a I've big lost, role? <laughs> yeah. Well, if I've lost out to other people, um, I frequently, I frequently see the things that they've done and kind of go, yes. I mean, yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Totally yeah, yeah, valid sure. take completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I found, I mean, I suppose my the most frustrating part of this question is that if you're not bankable anymore over here, then you have a hard time getting to a level now, I think. I think they need something to hang it on, which has nothing to do with any kind of meritocracy.
0: No. They no. just
1: need something to hang it on.
0: I love this illusion that this is somehow an exclusively British problem. Um, That's, that's candidly adorable, but, um, but no, I mean, I think there's certainly a um, there, there are, there's always going to be the name game, um, but that also becomes less and less relevant as time goes. I mean, how many, how many amazing shows have come out with just a cast of newcomers uh, or relative newcomers and have been massively successful and how many things have been anchored by a massive movie star and have died a thousand deaths. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, there's no trying to bring any sort of strict market demand to it. This isn't econ. (laughs) This is, this is something entirely, entirely different. I'm not going to get a roll out of you. Am I? You're really going to, you're going to clam up on this one. You're taking the, uh, what we would say in the States taking the fifth on this one.
1: I'm trying to think I'm trying, I mean, you probably wouldn't know it anyway. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I mean, there've been yeah, there've been little telly things that I've lost out to other people, and but I don't. I, I'm much more likely to harbour a grudge about a director or a producer, or than I am about a role. I think. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, interesting. I'm.
1: I get much more angry and frustrated and cross, and yeah, kind of uh, I can't let things, I can't let people go.
0: You know what, that I will, in not a way press that I issue. can let parts go. I will, I will not press, I will not push this issue any further, <laughs> uh, because I want you to live at peace. Adrian Scarborough, I, think I cannot
1: thank you. Oh, wait, wait, if you I got one. If I think of one, I'll, I'll if you think of one, out. yeah, by all means. Yeah.
0: yeah this will yeah. drop in a few weeks. Let me know. And we'll either record a little bonus, uh, chapter or yeah, well, you um, can just I'll put, just,
1: just put it on the Put it yeah, in I'll the box.
0: I'll, I'll just outro it. Uh, we'll uh, just we'll out find a interest. way for you yeah. to um, vent your demons. Okay, okay. It, Adrian on.
1: Scarborough, I cannot thank you enough for your time. This was really John a delight. A absolute pleasure to meet you, and how wonderful.
0: And that is an episode wrap on Adrian Scarborough. His new series, The Chelsea Detective, is on Acorn TV, and you should absolutely check it out. It is, again, one of those terrific character-based detective shows that only the British do. Forever!